0: Welcome to, Welcome to the 34 Circe, 34 Circe Salon. Welcome, Welcome to, to, to
1: Make Matriarchy Great, Matriarchy great Matriarchy Again.
0: Make Great Again. Hello and welcome.
1: Welcome, welcome.
0: Do I detect laughter from you, Dawn?
1: (laughs) Well, I keep trying to figure out what that woman is saying in German, and I think it has something to do with underwear, but I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) I will. I have have the recording. I'll share it with you so you can (laughs) translate it. We are here. I'm Sean Marlinukum, and that is Dawn Sam Alden.
1: Alden. Welcome, and we have as our guest again the fabulous. Max Dashu. Hi. Welcome back, Max.
0: Hi, Max. Thank you. So we are going to talk Amazons, and the question before us is... What is the big idea? Max, what's the big idea that you want to share with us today?
2: Amazons Antianaere. Women, the match for men. Women equals to men. This is one of our oldest references. It is our oldest reference to the Amazons, and it comes from the Iliad. It actually appears in two places there. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is look into who these women were, what is the mythologizing that was done about them, and how can we disentangle that from what we know from literature, archaeology, mythology, all the different sources we can draw on. Okay.
0: Okay. Perfect Well, I am excited for that. so let's just get right into it. What do you where where's your starting point for your thesis about the Amazons? what who they really were in that sense?
2: I don't I don't know if I have a starting point because we're looking at so many different strands of information. Okay. So I would say this, okay, let's start here. The Greeks heavily mythologized the women that they call the Amazons. Mm -hmm. And we have to get under the meanings they were trying to project on observations they were making about actual peoples, actual women who rode and hunted and were warriors. And, you know, we look at the archaeological record and written sources to sort of see what basis there was for that. But I think we have to begin by recognizing the degree to which the Amazons for the Greeks were the image of the bad women, the wrong women, the world upside down where they reverse everything out and men dominate in their society. So women in an Amazon society should be as cruel, as dominating, as as patriarchal men. And there's a lot of stories that are invented about them trying to flesh out that idea.
0: Well, let me ask you first, then who are they? Who are these women they're seeing that they're mythologizing?
2: Well, that's that's part of the question, you see, because we're bouncing around so much. If we look at the Greek sources, are we talking about Thraki, which can be Bulgaria all over into the Ukraine and the northern part of the Black Sea, you know, mm-hmm. Crimea? Or are we talking about Pontus and the area of northern Turkey? You know, the later sources that talk about the Thermodontine Amazons. Are we talking about Georgia and the Caucasus or even the Caspian Sea region and, or Lukia, because this is one of the places that's named in the Iliad is they're talking about the Southern part of Western, what is now Turkey. Mm. The, the the references to Amazons bounce around and that could be understandable in several ways. One of which is anywhere that there were women warriors, the Greeks saw Amazons. So that's one way of looking at it. But I think we're asking a bigger question than that.
1: Yeah. They just elided every, every time they saw a woman hunter or a society where women had rights that were um, approaching those of men or equaling those of men. They just put an Amazon stamp on it and, and, you know, went on their merry way.
2: Yeah. That, 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 and also, you know, the the theme of the woman warrior is, is an integral part of most, most of the time what they're talking about Amazons.
0: Right. I, my, my thing, there was a couple of things first, let's for the, for the listener, let's just kind of define the places you, you, discussed so pontus we're talking northern anatolia yeah right and then we have southwest What would be anatolia then so southwestern turkey Mm -hmm. uh georgia which is to the east it's uh, the eastern
2: black sea just north of the caucasus
0: and then then thrace uh bulgaria so that's in the western black Sea, and
2: for the ancients part of Ukraine would also have been wrapped in. Right. The Greeks didn't see, you know, especially the early sources, they're very murky about the geography. And this is one reason why the locations vary the way they do. But, you know, when, when the ancient Greeks talk about Thraki, they're talking about Bulgaria and Ukraine, but it's pretty dim. They don't really have, a, you know, the, the boundaries, eh, not right, really very clear about them. And right. so there's a lot of mix-up many times as to what, who and what they're talking about.
0: I think, you know, it's one of the things that I think, and that's what I'd love to just kind of get into with you here about this, too, is I think there, is, there are different periods in history that, that we're looking at. It's not even just the locations, but the time frames. And yeah. I think those time frames affect what the Greeks are actually seeing or what they're actually dealing with. In other words, I think that, OK, you've got these warrior women that appear at certain periods in time. And in some cases, they're parts of these larger tribes. You know, you're talking about these tribes that could be, you know, the Thracians and some of the tribes that are in the Scythians and the Sarmatians or Saramatians are in those regions. But I think for me, the essential question still becomes what John was mentioning why the Greeks give a stamp called Amazons. Where does the stamp come from? Because in my belief, if you go earlier, you might have something closer to the traditional Greek notion of what an Amazon was. As you get later into the historical period of the actual Greeks that we recognize from Herodotus onward, I don't think those women are still around, but other kinds of women are there. Yeah,
2: you know, this is where source criticism comes in because there is there's what they call stratification in our sources. Mm-hmm. It's not even whether they were around or not. It's just like what the stories that the Greeks tell morph over time. And mm-hmm. so I agree with you, the early sources, we, you know, we have to really prioritize what's being said there because actually as time goes on, the Greek writers, I'll just be very frank here, are making shit up in many cases. <laughs> you know? you know they, they 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 they've been mythologizing it all along but you start to see development uh, for example the meme about amazons chopping off their right breast or mm-hmm. or cauterizing really really sort of you know gives you the shivers even to think about the concept cauterizing the right breast this is part of that whole narrative of they are unnatural women and they're they're women who are gender nonconforming in some sense so therefore The the sexed body has to be marked in such a way to to show that these women are other. And so they make up the story about the cutting off of the breast. They are really casting the Amazons, and this is especially true of the late sources, after 400 especially. They begin to make up stories about the Amazons as invaders and imperialists. Who are invading and, and ruling over all these countries? And if you look at the time frame that they're talking about, you know, we're talking about in the 300s B- BCE when this is being written, then mm-hmm. you know there is no evidence of any. Group of people, much less women from that part of the world, that are conquering Syria or some of the other places they name.
0: You well, see? But it's, it's interesting though. Well, let's go. I mean, let's just go to the the breastless. I mean, you get that later. Although you do have plenty of descriptions and even artwork with them with both breasts. So I agree oh, that you get, yeah, oh, when, it. You get, yeah exactly. when you get
1: exactly
0: <laughs> yeah, when you get to later, it's like okay, now you've got this really strange myth. It's as if they decided that you know uh, a tribe of men had to cut off their testicles to ride a horse because it'd be easier but they well, would yeah which them.
2: would make a lot more sense according yeah. to the women but, archers but, that I've talked to you don't need your breast doesn't get in the way for the for the drawing of the bow <laughs>
0: yeah no absolutely it makes it makes no sense but, so there, but, there's that but i mean i'm thinking even when you talk about the the earlier myths of conquering there are interesting earlier connections or other connections this is where i start to think about like okay the greeks have these particular myths but there are other myths stories related around it or regional myths around those particular locations and then you have myths from other places so that's where also i think it gets dicey you've got this greek the greeks are like hollywood you know the greeks we get all our history from hollywood now and people think what the way they cast a movie is the way people were back in that era right well, not so but the Greeks are our Hollywood. They're our ancient Hollywood. So we get our whole notion of that from them, but they're not necessarily the only okay,
2: ones. So where do you know of other peoples who have accounts of Amazons as conquerors and invaders?
0: Well, the Chinese, the Indians, particularly both of them. They have uh, Amazon
2: yeah. legends, but they don't have Amazon invaders.
0: I, well, I agree. But what they will have is Amazons as having an empire or a kingdom a right, kingdom oh, a kingdom right yeah exactly.
2: you know, okay well let's go let's save that for a minute because we're going to get too far afield
0: i've been waiting for this i love this so okay sure i, I want to well. say
2: something though because i think what you raised about the politics of representation is very important you know if we look and again prioritizing look, look, look at the older images and then the more recent images as we've already noted no amazons without a breast cut off with a breast cut off so that's that's yeah. a given half the iconographic record is is you uni- the iconographic record is unanimous on that the earliest image that we have of an amazon comes from the 7th century and i think it's a plate from tyrants mm-hmm. and uh Jocelyn Block is very interesting to read on this cuz you know she's one of the people who said who claims the amazons are all a myth and I don't agree with that but oh, no. you know no. she does have a lot of important historical information and what she says is that there's a period in which the greeks represent this, this earliest representation of an amazon she's wearing a skirt and she's wearing a hoplite helmet a war helmet mm-hmm. and she's actually being grabbed by the hair or by the helmet by a male warrior who's about to whack off her head mm-hmm. the early representations of the amazons show them as greek hoplites only female
1: mm-hmm. but
2: that begins to change very soon because as the greeks start to become more familiar with the women from these steppe regions and that's primarily what we're talking about in in most of the accounts um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the eurasian steppe or the ukrainian steppe they, they begin to get more and more accurate representations of the clothing. And so by the fifth century, you're starting to see Amazons dressed in the, in, the, in the clothing of the steppe. And not only is the clothing shown accurately, but this is where the genius of Adrienne Mayer's work comes in, because she's really synthesizing the literature, the archaeology, the archaeological record, linguistics, and all these other fields. And what she has demonstrated is that Not only the trousers and the headdress, you know, the classical peaked cap of the Amazons and really actually the Scythians and the Persians too, if you get to that, but also the type of quiver, which is different than the the Greek quiver, which you'll see Artemis wearing on her back. But Mm -hmm. for the, the Asiatic Amazons, it's slung over the shoulder, but hangs at the side. So you can pull the arrows out and shoot rapidly. And... Not only that, but the recurve bow is shown, and it's being drawn with a certain kind of thumb draw that is a known method among the steppe tribes. And and also, she had, she lists a lot of reasons to say, wait a minute, there's something historical about these 5th century representations of the Amazons that could not have just been an invention of the Greeks.
0: No, I, I, can, the I can see that.
2: The from thing a particular I, ethnicity. Yeah. Well, and, 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 go um, ahead, point out just
1: quickly that um, to to expand on what you're saying, Max, that, you know, the first uh, representations of Amazons as simply, you know, Greek hoplite warriors, except women makes perfect sense. If you are a sculptor or a painter or something like that. And, and you hear this story of like, Hey, there are these women that fight that's like, like your, the first dawning of the idea, right? Because your only representation that you know of are male warriors, so you would it would make perfect sense that they and would really just right. paint
2: a warrior and then stick a woman's body in there. That makes perfect and, sense, and a, and a Greek archetype as well, a Greek Absolutely. male. Archetype, you know, yeah. so and and we don't really have any representations from the period of the Iliad, you know, in Mycenaean there's no Mycenaean representations.
0: Well, Uh, well, I wanna just jump in on one thing though. See, this is where I I do really strongly diverge from from that that theme, because to me, that is more an example of, again, using the Hollywood analogy. As Dawn pointed out, you don't know what they look like in the early days. Let's say one doesn't know that, and creates this idea of a warrior, dresses them as a Greek warrior would, and you got it. And then as you start to encounter women who are warriors, now you start to see a recreation of okay this looks like the way a scythian would a warrior woman would have dressed or a woman uh, from the steppes in that region right but right. that doesn't but that to me does not in any way make it seem as if, well, this legend of what the Amazons were is simply a legend of what the Scythians are. And there's a couple of... No, because I've there's already.
2: more than Scythians involved in this. We're or, or, any, or
0: anybody even Sarmatians in that period.
2: and Sarmatians.
0: Yeah. No, but I mean anybody in that period. I mean, to me, the reason I'm saying this is you now have... The, the fact that there are Scythians and Sarmatians and Thracian warrior women in no way makes it mutually exclusive with the fact that there could have at one point been, or may have even contemporaneously been, but I don't necessarily agree with that, a group of women called Amazons. That's where I differ because it doesn't disprove it. All it does is say that now artists have a way of looking at it. But I'm not, I'm not saying, not
2: that, saying oh, that to disprove anything. I'm, yeah, simply, yeah. I'm simply saying that we start to zero in more accurately on something which is in fact backed up by the archaeology yeah, in those exactly. regions. Right, we're naming yeah. what the Greeks are naming as countries of Amazons.
0: You know? no, I agree with that absolutely. no I absolutely agree with that. It's just I, there's something in that scholarship which also states that the concept of Amazon is solely the result of a Greek misrepresent misunderstanding of what they were seeing in these steppe tribes. yeah, see
2: I, I, I think that that's I'm not saying that it's a Greek misrepresent I mean the, the stories they tell, are misrepresentations insofar as they are shaped by the Greek viewpoint and lens, yes. mm-hmm. you know. But th- I'm saying that they are actually historical references to something that was real, but they didn't understand it very well. As as you can see, them trying to impose all their meanings and behaviors onto that the world upside down kind of thing, oh, right. right?
0: Well, when you say so when you say real, do you say uh huh?
2: Well, Sorry, I'm. Don't... We're real you know we, and we we can we can talk about what that means but i'm just saying you know just as an initial ground we have mm-hmm. to examine the various elements in the cultural record that can help us get an idea because i feel sure. like you know we i need to test my assumptions or my ideas against what i can find and so there's the linguistic record the literary record right. which reflects oral traditions that's really where the 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 homeric stuff comes from i mean that was oral for like half a millennium before it got written down right and then we have the archaeological and the genome is starting to come into it and so there's a lot of different angles of view that we have to integrate we have to synthesize all of this and in any case whether it's the archaeologists or the ancient greek male writers we have to have a certain healthy suspicion of the viewpoint of the source, so, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I, we absolutely. have some, we definitely have some
1: unreliable narrators here.
2: Yeah, 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 and and so you know I'm kind of looking to see what can be can be discovered, but I do think that there's a possibility that the Greeks are looking at something that I mean, if if you look at the Sarmatian and the Sarmatian cultures, and that's really the same word. One is a Latin form of an earlier recorded greek form okay so they really represent historical periods more than necessarily different peoples the mm-hmm. way i look at it because it's the same name you know it's, well, just I like, mean, it's, it's it, like comparing it, it, americans and americanos you know it's like, yeah
0: <laughs> no no it, it's interesting because i think there's the, also the, the notion that okay well are there Sarum, are the Sarmatians the you know when do they become the offshoot of the scythians According to myth, the Scythians right. and the Amazons.
2: Yeah, well, then that's Herodotus. So then, you know, there again, we have Greek mythologizing about something, which in some ways, there's a certain basis to saying, all right, you know, the, these people, the reason he's comparing them to the Scythians is because the, the vast likelihood is that they're speaking an Indo-Iranian language, mm-hmm. these Amazons, right? So that that's what he sees in his world as the Scythians, you know, or he could have said the Sarmatians, I suppose, but, you know, he's actually saying the Sarmatians came from a mixture of these 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 tribes of warrior women with the Scythians who were, as we know, a patriarchal culture. And the Indo-Iranian speakers really are patrilineal societies. So that when I look at those societies, you know, or what they might have been in the period where these are not the early Kurgans that Maria Gimbutas mm-hmm. writes about, they're the late Kurgans. Right, right. In the in the fifth, fourth centuries BCE, where you mm-hmm. do find this really dramatic, really amazing female-centered iconography, the the great the the excavations do not show an absence of men, but what they do show is a presence of female warriors, and this right. is something that Esther Rolla, Renata Rola, and Janine Davis Kimball, and the Russian archaeologists yeah. have been following for at least 50 years you know starting with the eastern european archaeologists so we see there that there are societies where there are armed women and we also see right. a very high status at least for some women and and here we have to contrast what the amazons according to herodotus are are telling these these scythian men that they're supposedly you know, align with, right? When they create the Saurimation people, the, the founders of the Saurimation people, you know, as the Amazon saying, we're not going to do like your women. I mean, we're, we're not housekeepers. Okay. We, we, we ride and with the bow. So there is a recognition in there that in the Scythian world, at least they, they're, they're kingdoms, they're warrior kingdoms, you know, in, in that from the sixth century BCE. So that's something that's present on the steps. I would not call that a matriarchy. And yet, There are cultural elements, I'm not even sure yet how to account for them, that are much more matricultural, that could have very ancient origins. And so there's almost like a collision, which is the the core of the myth that Herodotus is telling us. Yeah. patriarchal men and then these women who come from a different type of society who are not going to stand for any of that.
0: Well it's it, it becomes interesting like you know what's we've talked about on this podcast a lot, this idea that there's potentially this clash, particularly you know we were talking about the West and, and specific in this case. obviously this clash between what we now know as the Yamnaya, the indo-european invaders and what was an earlier culture. whether that culture is matriarchal or not, I know is in dispute and it's con- you know there's there's conflict. I believe it was, but oh I I'll, I'm, I'm saying, perfectly yeah. willing
2: to say it's major cultural. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. you know, so what's, And what's, that's an earlier, earlier,
2: that's a much earlier period, right? Right, right. But the hybrid culture can happen more than one time in history. Right. And right. I think that there was a hybrid culture in that period where there is kind of like an intermixing that happens under the Yamnaya conquests. There's a mixing that happens.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: then in later periods also you will see that intermixing. So I think the Soramations are that kind of a hybrid culture.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the things that we thought about the Scythians a hundred years ago that Herodotus wrote about what we thought about it was that he was wildly making this stuff and inaccurate. And then right. archaeology reveals that there's truth to it. So it's there's, yeah. there's the case is open as to that hybrid idea. And it, sounds, it certainly makes sense to me. What I find interesting about that specific reference in Herodotus, though, and, and this is where, again, I, I diverge from some of the scholarship, which is he clearly defines a group called Amazons from a group called Scythians. If they were the same group, you wouldn't de- define them differently. You Agreed. wouldn't name them differently. So that that's why it's important to me about that particular one concept in particular, that, wait a minute, let's yeah. think about I
2: agree that. with that. I agree with that. And yet, let's also remember, I mean, with Herodotus, he has some very pro- problematic projections. And this is where you see the Greek mythologizing, because uh-huh. he talks about you know, he the way, the way that he refers to the customs of these Sormatians is that no maiden weds until she's killed a man of the enemy. And some of them grow old and die unmarried because they cannot fulfill the law. And this is very much like the, the fables that he makes up about the Babylonians and how the women had to go sit in the temple. And until a man threw a coin in her, co- or her lap and chose her to go have sex with him, she could not leave that temple. But might have mm-hmm. to sit there for years. This is a this is an obsession of male control on the part of Herodotus. And uh-huh. the, the thing that he says about the Amazon and the Scythians, he expresses it in a very patriarchal way. This none of the, what I'm saying here falsifies with a hybrid idea that I was just man- right. naming. But he says, the women did not resist, but let him do his will. <laughs> you know, right. so we yeah. get a very clear cut picture of the collision between an observation of something. That he's describing which we want to consider and his projections which are very patriarchal right right yeah i mean he's he's looking to tell a good story
1: to a patriarchal audience and we have to keep that that point of view in mind when we read his works just like when uh sean and i analyze um the movie Troy that came out uh, oh, yeah. a decade or so ago, we take everything that that movie says about the Trojan War with a large grain of salt because yeah. it's Hollywood finding a way to tell a good story that will sell
2: tickets and get butts right. in seats. And well, I, have a, I have really severe criticisms of those behaviors too. I mean, it drives <laughs> me crazy. It rules do really all output coming out of that world. But but let's leave behind the Herodotus for a minute because there's some other pieces here in even earlier sources that Mm -hmm. speak to this. And this is going back to Amazonis Antianaere. I can never say it. Anti Antineare. Antineare, that's how they say it. Um, There's another source called Scullox of Mm Caryondia. And this is in the 6th century, so 500s BCE, right? And he refers to the Maotian, the Sinti, and the Sarmatian tribes as people ruled by women. This is that yeah. word, gyneco, gyneco kratumene, uh, you know, those who are ruled by like women.
0: The, yeah, like the gynocracy, I guess, would be the way. We Gynecocracy
2: would... is how they, yeah, they yeah. rendered it into English. But basically, gyneco is woman, and then kratu is power, and mene, you know, the rulership over, or uh, kratu is rulership, and, and mene is power. And this word is used by the Greeks also about other groups, including way off over northern Spain, the Cantabrians are also called
0: oh, right. yeah. by
2: Strabo, I think it is, Genaiko so, Kratomene. But anyway, the concept of this, I think the way I see it being used by the Greeks, we have to interrogate even the concept of rulership because the Greeks' idea of it was a dominator society, top-down kind of, and, and this is where I really take issue with the concept of Amazons as uh, imperial conquerors. But they they look patriarchal men look at societies where women have a say and where there's an egalitarian ethos and they call that rulership, you know, female mm-hmm. domination is the mm-hmm. way that they perceive that. Right. But there's something there in that description. So let's look at the, who these people are. I mean, the Sarmatians, we're already, we already know we're looking at people who are living in the Ukraine. And that also includes the Kuban, which is an area just north of the Caucasus. There's like that land bridge between Ukraine and Turkey.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely.
2: And so that's the Sarmatians, and with all that rich archaeology that we know where women are very prominent these these amazing peaked headdresses, and you see a lot of really powerful women, including the women warriors in their archaeology in in their Kurgan burials, but then also the Simti, that would be the people living in the northern Aegean, so that would be the northern islands, and that would include probably the um at this period. Lemnos, the island of right. Lemnos, and this is an area where uh, you have the Greeks looking at that island, and particularly the women of that island as being very bad women.
0: The Lemnian they, deed, right? What? The Lemnian deed.
2: The Lemnian deed. Not only that, the lem- Lemnian women and the hmm. Lemnian stench—the concept yeah, that the exactly. women stank oh, because they were cursed by Aphrodite, right? But they, they, they're. Aphrodite in the story curses them and they their husbands stay away from them because they have this terrible smell, and so they kill their husbands. This is this is the Greek story. It has nothing to do yeah. with Lemnian actual history, right? But again, right. the Greeks making up pejorative stories about women from an island, which we see from, from Skullaks are Genaiko They are a society where women have power. And so, you know, they're not really specifically called Amazons, but uh, so that's the second group, the Sinti. And the third group Mm -hmm. is interesting because the Maotians, they are more in the northwestern corner of Anatolia. And where that is to be seems to move around. There's a really interesting guy, a Dutch scholar named Beekus, who has a thesis that the Etruscans originate from this part of, of Anatolia
0: well the the ancient people said that right
2: were talked about as the lydians were uh, moved south at some point were driven out of Myosha and became the lydians
0: uh-huh.
2: but anyway this is that region it's that whole northwestern corner where you do have a lot of amazon traditions and this is our other group out of the iliad this the second group that the iliad talks about as amazon country is in this region is in that northwest corner and you have the, um, it's an area that's referred to as Myosha. It's also the Troad is right there. But the Amazons are coming to fight. And this is the passage where, uh, what's what's this? how does the quote go? You have um, Priam in the Iliad saying,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Once before I visited Phrygia of the vineyards, and I myself, a helper in war, was marshaled among them on that day when the Amazon women came, a match for men. So... That's, that's another kind of placement. The Amazons aren't actually from Phrygia, but they're from someplace close enough to march in and do battle.
0: Right.
2: right. It's very fascinating. I haven't sorted out all the strands of this, and I want to reread Bekas again, because that's a, there's, there's, a, there's something interesting about the fact that, well, first of all, Lemnos speaks a Tyrrhenian language.
0: Right. Yes. Okay. This and this really is the deep. same language family yeah. as the
2: Etruscans and also people way up in the Raetian Alps, the, the Alps of um, the Eastern Alps, which is, I guess, part of Switzerland now.
0: And I think, isn't the potential argument that the Minoans also, I think we are the Cretans, as we'd like to say here. Well, some people oh.
2: have raised that and yeah. I've been looking into that. I'm not finding a lot and nobody really knows what the Cretans uh, spoke, but that's one thesis.
0: Yeah, that right. they're part of that same language group. Right? But, but
2: here's the interesting thing about it. Say that the Etruscans did originate from Northwest Anatolia, and that would be tend to be uh, validated by the fact that Lemnos was speaking this language, right? So that, that whole region, because those islands were very, very closely related to the Troad culture there in the area of Troy, all right? And so... That well, I lost my
0: train of thought here for a moment. Well, um, the, co- the connection, the potential connection between—I I, I uh, one of the things that I've looked at is that what is there oh. a potentially a connection with the Etruscans, the Lemnians, Minoans, and their connection with their pe- reportedly matriarchal leanings? Right,
2: right. Okay, so that. I'm going to leave the Cretans aside because I can't really. I can't really um give evidence to that we don't know right, yet at right, this point but, but what I was going to the other part I was going to bring up is of course you have the italian legends about aeneas coming out of that region and then being a founder of in in uh italy right but the genetic <laughs> The the genetic evidence is really interesting because in Tuscany they did DNA studies of both people and cattle and they yes. found a linkage to western Asia.
0: Yeah. Well, so although there's some there's some question about you know how certain they are but I've read that and I'm with you on that. I I yeah. So I think you know well,
2: question. this this just goes to the whole question which we've had that goes back to the idea of the modern archaeologists who who just draw a line and say Everything having to do with the Amazons is mythical and there's no reality to it. And that also could apply to the story that was widespread in the ancient world that the Etruscans came from the west, from the east, right? And settled in in Italy. And so the mythic stories actually are being authenticated on some level by genome evidence. No,
0: it's it's, it's amazing to me because it's a pet peeve and I've told this to Dawn. It's this idea that The ancients were these brilliant people who developed all our philosophies and you know origins of science and different kinds of arts. But we, but modern scholars want to treat them as if they were actually, you know, sort of small children who couldn't tell the truth about anything. So it's just kind of, on the one hand, they deify them. And on the other hand, they infantilize them. So it's kind of annoying.
2: Yeah. Well, and and that's why I feel like the thing with what the ancient Greek testimony for us is that we have to read through it. I don't. I don't necessarily, I don't accept a lot of what they say because it's very clearly ideological. It's very clearly, you know, very patriarchal projection. But on the other hand, we have to really examine the evidence from other directions like archaeology and linguistics or the genome evidence about what they're saying and test it and see what does it look like. If we actually look at the archaeology of the Ukraine or, you know, I don't know, it, have you looked into the archaeology of Pontus at all that, you know, in terms of finding any evidence for this um, Thermodontine? I haven't seen anything. That, that's, my,
0: that's my dream. Well, that's the dream we have. The dream is that we want to go over there. I mean, that's what we've kind of lined up. Can we go? I've, I've actually even given coordinates to a geophysicist to say, here's where I'd like to look to see if this is the right place to dig. Because the myth says at the mouth of the, uh, mouth, mouth of the Thermodon River on the Black Sea that's supposedly where Themyscira was supposed to be. So I don't think, what I've read, and we had Walter Penrose on um, a little while ago, and in his book, it's where I, I saw this. As far as we know, no one has ever bothered to do an archeological excavation for Themyscira. I mean, it's to them, it's too fantastical. So it's easy to dismiss something when you won't look for it.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: You
1: yeah. it say it's never been found if you've never looked.
0: Yeah, it's like, okay. so
2: Well, more to be revealed, right? But, yeah. you know, and, and then we do have, like, I mean, another thing that interests me is that there's a lot of references uh, to, especially in the later literature, it seems like they go further and further east as their reach expands because, you know, the early Greeks in the 7th century, they weren't necessarily uh, having much dealings with the Kuban or the Caucasus. Those were mm-hmm. murky areas for them you know, which we can see some of the geography is a little garbled, you know, when they're talking about Prometheus and the or the the path of EO through the Ukraine and down through the Caucasus and that whole story. Uh, they're not real clear on the on the details of it. Nevertheless, Mayer once again brings forward a lot of evidence from those areas of women warrior burials.
0: She is amazed. By the way, we should just say, uh, Adrian Mayer is someone that both Dawn and I really love her work, and I've met Adrian, and I think that the Amazons is an amazing book. So, for people interested in that, that's a great place to start to study um, the history of these warrior women, Amazons, by Adrian Mayer. So,
2: yeah, it, it's it's a, it is the, it's the best place to start, as far as I'm concerned, just to get right. your head around the overall picture, because there's all this all this evidence that has to be integrated. And there's a lot of different lines of information, you know, so um, it's, and then studying the, studying the mythology, you know, which she does go over some of that in the literature. Yeah. I find reading her and Bloch both has been very informative, even though I, I disagree with Bloch's basic thesis that this was all just made up by the Greeks.
0: Yeah, because it's wrong. That's why. <laughs> but, but she has a lot
2: of information that we need to know about in there, you know. Yeah. so and she does she's done a study of the iconography that i find very useful here's something here's another piece that i think i, I this is going to be in my next book which has to do with uh it's called pythia's melissa and pharmakides women in hellenic culture and there's a whole chapter called barbari which barbarians right this is the word barbarians right. that the greeks right. referred um, to all other peoples were barbarians <laughs> you know the projections of greek men on the Lemnian women, Lydian women, you've got the story about Queen Omphal. There's oh, really? a lot of different groups, Libyan women and the demonized stories that they tell about Queen Lamia, uh, or even the Libyan Amazons. But um the I have a whole big chunk, a big section in there about the Amazons. Um, I'm forgetting again what I was going to tell you
0: <laughs> about it. Well, no. Uh, uh, no, but it's it's there is a I mean a lot of stuff that for me there are so many strands that could be followed. I, I think it's because there are, there are these so many different layers, historically oh. and locations. But sorry, go yeah, there. yeah.
2: I've, I, it just took me a minute to to I, I laid the ground and I forgot where I was going with it. <laughs> One of the things I discovered there are some slight references, especially like in Hellenistic sources, like the poet Callimachus talks mm-hmm. about an Amazon dance and. Oh. This is in relation to the women dancing, the Amazons dancing in Ephesus around the shrine of Artemis. Oh. So this is this has to do with the, the ground, the base ground of this story is a variety of traditions of Amazon founders along the Western coast of what's now Turkey and also some of the islands along there. So What do you make
0: of that? Yeah, Lemnos, that Lesbos, yeah. and,
2: and some of the other islands. And so... In the case of Ephesus, Amazons found the temple of Artemis, according to some accounts. And then there are these descriptions in Callimachus where they're dancing around the image of Artemis there. And there's some other stories talking also about Amazons there who are fighting the armies of Dionysus. And he defeats them and they take refuge. This whole idea of taking asylum is very closely associated, especially with goddess temples and particularly with Artemis. And so the Amazons take refuge at the altar of Artemis in that long ago mythical period. This is very much a mythical story, but there's this association of Amazons with Ephesus and with this major, major goddess temple, which eventually becomes one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world. All right. But the dance of the Amazons. So, I would see these vague references in sources I was reading to that, and they never ever really fleshed it out. So it took me a little while to track down that reference from Callimachus, but then I discovered in the iconographic record of Greek face paintings, there are numerous images of the amazon dance and i'm going to have those in my book i I, i've rendered them as illustrations so that i can publish them because it's very interesting it's a form of dance that in it's an ecstatic dance first of all and so the amazons there they are dressed in their long sleeves and their trousers you know the painted patterns on their leather clothing and they're dancing bent from the waist arms reached forward and hands clasped together And sometimes the hands are reaching out directly in front of them. Other times they're raised above their heads, joined above their heads, and their feet are kicking. And what this looks like more than anything else is what they in Russia call the kazachok, the hopak for the Ukrainians or the kazatska for in Yiddish it's it's that kicking dance that the Cossacks do oh right Right? and the Cossacks come from that Kuban region you know there's this mixture of Tartar peoples with whoever was there before and there's the continuity of this dance so what it involves I don't know if you've ever tried this but if you've seen if you've seen somebody do the Hopak they crouch down and they kick out one leg while balancing on the bent other leg and then they switch the legs right and there are all kinds of other different movements but it's it's a it's a tour de force of thigh muscles and balance, basically. <laughs> you know, I, I think
0: a great I think a great example of that if people want to dig back into seventies pop culture is John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever does a little Cossack dance. So yeah, yeah, look at so
2: so the, this this dance, which in the old sources is referred to as the oklasma, is something that comes up and. It's associated with the Amazons, and the Amazons are depicted doing this dance. And very often, I'm not really sure what this is about, but they're dancing like on a little altar or bench. And sometimes they appear in scenes with the Maynads. So this is another expression of ecstatic women's ceremonial culture. But it's very clearly a kind of a trance dance. And it occurs in Greek art we see a little bit of it in macedonian art and then because southern italy is part of magna gracia it then shows up there and actually a lot of the most impressive examples of it are from there so um, the oklasma and the amazon dancers and and then there's one more piece about this and this has to do again with artemis where you see the greek playwright autokratis He has a a play called Timpanistae, which means drummers. And he's talking about how the Lydian maidens dance for Artemis, leaping and hair flying, clapping before the beautiful goddess. So maybe that hand gesture also has to do with clapping. And their hips dipping and then again rising up, just like a leaping wagtail bird. So there are various descriptions and representations of this. And I think it's interesting because I think it is... a it's associated in, in the Greek writings with Asia Minor and uh-huh. that same realm that we're talking about when we're talking about the Amazons. And sometimes it's very difficult to disentangle all these themes we're looking at. But because Amazons are associated with this dance in the iconography, there's something there that, you know, we have this very powerful image, imagery and it's not normally what people think about. With the Amazons, because they're thinking about women riding horses, and they've got the pelta, the crescent shaped bow. I'm sorry, a uh, shield, and the recurve bow, and they're turning around in their horse, and they're part firing the parting shot, right? The these are all part of that, but I think that if we're looking at an actual culture, an af- actual ethnicity, and this is what one of the things that I think it's uh, Block says, you know, we're talking about a people you know amazons as an ethnicity then there's more to them than just when they fight this right. is like an ultra, element of culture that really is part to me of a eurasian steppe culture and the ecstatic ceremonies and you could probably wrap in the scythian sweat lodges with the marijuana being thrown on the embers of the braziers mm-hmm. you know there, there's all these other elements and this is a part which is probably the least visible to us ordinarily, but it is there in the in the, in the Greek face paintings.
1: It's interesting. It's, in some yeah. ways, it reminds me um, of the bull leaping, uh, the images of the, the women leaping over the horns of the bull, not because it's an ecstatic, but because it's a physical
2: challenge. That's, yeah, it's a yoga, <laughs> if you can pull it off. They claim that this is impossible, but I don't think it is, especially if these Cretans loved their cattle and had a relationship with their cattle, I don't see any reason why they could not evolve uh, a, some kind of interchange between human and bull that would not be antagonistic because this is not the bullfight, Right. right. Yeah. That, yeah. That they could have actually learned to vault over the back of the bull. You know, even though the modern scholars are like, oh, no, no, that never happened. And yet we've got these pictures. So what was that about? Right. Then? Exactly. What's their explanation for it? Yeah,
0: I, I I've, wonder I've if that. the modern scholars, that if the only thing that will ever convince them is if we have a seance, bring these people back from the dead. <laughs> it, it's just everything. Oh, 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 it's like just a seance. To convince yeah. Them. Yeah. yeah. It's just beyond oh, irritating. But yeah, I think, it's, I think that's a real... That image of the cosette dance, though, is really going to stay with me because that is an amazing, amazing image, especially thinking of it as part of this Amazonian culture, whatever you want to call it, but this this kind of dance of these warrior women, I think that's an incredible image. So this kind of cultural aspects you're seeing in the Amazons, are there any other sort of things like that or on these warrior women so that we don't get caught into specifically defining um not off the top of my head,
2: yeah. the cultural elements. That's mm-hmm. the, the main thing. I would have to move at that point because we're really dependent either on Greek representations or else we're dependent on archaeology in the regions we're talking about. Okay, And since I don't have any archaeology from Georgia or Pontus or some of the regions that we know about, even even from Lukia, uh, the main area that I look to is the Sarma- Sar- Sar- Sarmatian cultures. Mm-hmm. In, in the ukraine and there is some really beautiful gold metalwork in the kurgans of, of sarmatian kurgans like for example at Chertomlyk, there is uh plaques gold chased gold plaques that show a woman or a goddess holding up a mirror as a ceremonial object in front of someone who is drinking and standing before her there's actually numerous plaques Along that line, there's some that have kind of a Sheila Nagig figure. There are amazing headdresses, women's headdresses that are tall, like the polos crowns that you see in Asia Minor mm-hmm. uh, on the goddesses in places like Tolstaya Magila. That's one of the major uh, excavations of Sarmatian art. There are goddesses which are bronze standard tops with winged goddesses. Actually, there's a couple of different. Winged goddesses that I've seen that turn up there from the Ukraine, and then one site that I just love is called Karavodeyashk. This is very hard to do a web search when you have to transliterate Russian characters into yeah. English. But there's this one amazing crown. It's a woman's peaked headdress that it's it's a chased piece of silver that shows an elder woman wearing one of those very type. of of headdresses and surrounded by other people and then incorporated in the central panel of this of this triangular plate is the goddess Nike who is driving a chariot so you can see that there's Greek influences on on these and then there's a bunch of other images from various kurgans where you have a woman who is half woman and half serpent or half Uh, fish in some cases and this ties together with i forget is it herodotus there's there's the heracles goes to the ukraine and into a cave where there's this woman and she actually holds him captive for a while and conceives a son by him as i recall right so there's this legendary figure half woman half snake that becomes the ancestor of various peoples so this is an element also because you know if we look at at this archeology span we can see this very prominent female presence. And these are people that the Greeks at least were referring to as Amazons. We might not classify them as Amazons or, you know, depending depending on your perspective. Right,
1: right. One,
2: one of the interesting thing that comes through here is there's a crown. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, uh, there's a Kurgan. This is like first century CE. So it's very, very uh, late. But it's a Sarmatian woman's burial, and there's a golden diadem with little golden drop pendants coming off of it. And at the very center of it is a Greek-looking goddess adorned with various gems. And over the top of her head is the Tree of Life and these very Central Asian deer flanking it on either side. So a little glimpse of the Asiatic influences that were present. In in these Ukrainian cultures, in the early centuries,
0: and yeah, that the, the stag. I know that those kinds of images of the stag and those things were very prominent. For I know Adrian Mayer points out in her book for the warrior woman they found in Siberia. So when you right. go further north, and,
2: and the deer stones that are scattered all the way through Mongolia and different places, I'm seeing there's quite. I'm just looking through my my archives folders here, and there's numerous images from Kul Oba and other sites of a winged woman who is dragons or serpents on the bottom. So they had this legend and the Greeks would have been riffing off of that to make this story about Heracles. You know, they, they always had to have, I mean, that's a whole other piece of this is the way that first Heracles and then later Thestaios, the the hero of the Athenians, the foundational hero, basically rape an Amazon queen. Yeah. one way or the other and yeah. so that gets back into this this narrative i mean really the way a lot of what the greeks have to say about the amazons is they are these unnatural women enemies who must be subdued and tamed and so the legends of the heroes that's what they're doing you know they they you know antiope is is the best known of these stories the Seos brings back antiope and basically conquers the amazon and then later the Amazons invade Greece. According to this account, there's no archaeological evidence of any such war, but there are monuments all around Athens and various cities in Greece that are basically get turned into hero monuments to Amazons, saying, "Oh, this Amazon fell here, this Amazon fell there."
0: It, it's pretty <laughs> interesting. That's a real. I find that a very interesting. And again, I wonder if the fact that we don't have any archaeological record of it is because, like Themyscira, nobody's bothered to look. I don't know that, but it just—it strikes me though that the Greeks had such a prominent uh, imagery and use of that myth of the Amazonomaki, the attack on Athens. It's like there—I would imagine, and this is just conjecture—that there must be some shred of something there, because yes. I would also it think. Happened, I mean, me, but,
1: but we don't yeah. know how symbolic. That's yes, did.
2: Yeah. that's did. That's what I, I see in it. I do not see it as a historical at all of, of some Amazon empire that came marching across Bulgaria to invade Greece from the north. It doesn't work doesn't for it, me. But, doesn't what, does does work, but yeah. what does work yeah. for me is the idea that the Greeks felt it necessary to have this whole mythical construct about how these unnatural women, you know, that they opposed them. It was really a restatement of Greek patriarchy these stories, you know, and that's ultimately the fate of women is to be subdued,
0: right? I would think, I think there's part of that, but I think that there's part, to me, there's probably something, there has to, I would think there, given what we've seen in the historical record, what we find, what we find that there are these kernels of truth, or even large swaths of truth, that perhaps the encounter isn't an Amazon empire army attacking, but just skirmishes or encounters with these groups of women, or Greeks more likely, running through these, the lands, the tribal lands of some of these women, whether they've settled. I mean, again, pure conjecture, but there's so much to it for the Greeks that I wonder if it's just a matter of how we approach looking at it or unearthing. But I do agree with you that, yeah, I think a lot of it then gets restated to show that the Greek men, of course, will conquer the Amazons and manhood and patriarchy will be restored and all the world will be to
2: to me, it falls together with all the stories that are told about masculine takeover in Athens, for example. You know, the, the loss of women's citizenship. And there are a lot, a lot, a lot of myths that are turning around this. The subjugation of women is brought about mm-hmm. in, in the story that's being told about this myth. And it's also, it's, it's the other. It's, it's the female other. you know and and there's some interesting studies about this because the parthenon not only has the amazon machi but it also has the Titanomachy. so the olympian gods fighting Mm -hmm. the titans and the titans are interesting because they really represent the natural powers and the old gods they're literally called the old gods in, in greek sources and this opposition of patriarchal Authoritarianism, and you can even find it for that matter it's It plays out throughout the course of the Iliad where zeus is is the dominant male and he 's constantly whacking down Hera and Athena and Hera's going behind his back and trying to do things another way you know it just it's it's a constant theme in the the yeah. the, the quelling of women is a constant theme well, yeah in and the,
1: the Oresteia, that that uh, play trilogy is all about mother right versus father right and the whole idea of you know is is make uh is murdering your mother more of a crime than murdering your father and that the Furies, you know their their position in the in, in the the god realm the goddess realm was to punish um those who committed matricide The you know yeah.
2: people who killed the, sh- mother- the shedding of maternal blood the blood of any kin really but the maternal blood right and, yeah and so this is the last shred of mother yeah. right and that
1: athena is the one who casts yeah. the deciding vote that you know patricide is more of a crime than matricide
2: Right, you know, she she actually comes out in is it Euripides or Aeschylus? I forget, but she she comes out and she says, "I am I am always for the male," and so the irony is that she's a daddy's girl. She
0: states
2: yeah. that yeah. and she performs that role in all the Greek mythology. Greek mythology because she is the supporter and the protector of Theseus and all the Greek heroes, Perseus, right, the slayer of the Gorgon, mm-hmm. and yet she is this warrior woman figure. So you're looking at the warrior woman as a totally colonized by patriarchy. She right. had to be suborned in order to exist. And so they do that really successfully. Yeah, that is,
0: that is a great, yeah, I, that's absolutely, it's, it's she fascinates. Again, she's, you know, he swallows, Zeus swallows her mother. She gives birth to her directly from his head. So, you know, you don't, no need for woman to give birth, you know, the Greek dream. Um, and then, <laughs> right, <laughs>
2: and, and that's even that's even being placed as a superior birth to the one of Hera. There's this oh, whole narrative yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah
1: and it's a, it's a philosophy that has just recently been echoed by our own esteemed uh, Congressmen, who uh, basically defines women as a womb, <laughs> a, a walking womb for the purposes of creating babies for the men for their husbands. So, I mean this this notion um has has been carried on throughout the history of patriarchy um pretty much intact.
0: Yeah, it's an unbroken. I mean, so many it's fascinating to talk about these myths and how the how the Greeks handle the existence of warrior women or in my opinion the existence of an amazon culture, something of that sort but they we pass along unbroken the greek the greco-roman and even earlier than that patriarchal response in our myths that we still live with
2: absolutely
0: it's, it's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. And,
2: and this even happens in Greek times. You start to see the Amazons themselves being colonized. I mean, I, we spoke about Heracles and Theseus, but we also see stories, and these are really late Hellenistic stories. But here's Alexander the Great conquering his way across Asia, and they invent this queen Thalestris in the Caucasus yes. reason, and she goes and offers herself, you know, she wants to conceive a child by this wonderful conqueror. Wow. So the inversion of values is really severe there. And of course, I think he, he winds up refusing her, if I remember correctly. So, you know, it's, it's even the Amazons have to mythically be done down. And that's one of the main intentions. It is the main intention of the Greek storytelling. Inadvertently, along the way, they retained bits of evidence for us to look at about, about what those, quote unquote, other cultures were like. Right. You know, we can then compare that with the archaeology.
1: And to, yeah, begin to piece out what their actual history was, as opposed to the version of their history that the Greeks, um, you know, that the Greeks invented for their own purposes.
2: Yeah, or the, or the Greek men. Because one of the things Mayer points out is that Greek Athenian girls were playing with Amazon dolls. Right. <laughs> Yes.
1: Oh my yeah. So there's
2: also this whole sub sub Rosa female culture. And a lot of this, there would have also been songs and rituals among the women that we don't know about because right. the, all of what we would have written is by men. Right. And even the things that were written by women like Sappho, you know, are not record. I mean, they didn't survive well. Right. And, you exactly. know, the, the, the female poets weren't retained except for Sappho. So, that's, you know, there's there's a whole missing piece there, which is the orature of Greek women. And this is something also that I'm exploring in my book. Not only do we have this massive edifice of patriarchy, and, and that's the bulk of what we see, whether it's Plato and Aristotle, or whether it's the mythologies that are spun, you know, or the artistic representations, right? we don't have a lot of cultural testimony from the women and the iliad and other sources tell us that women wove their stories and that's another piece Mm -hmm. that that didn't survive you know this is not we're not dealing with the sahara where weavings could last you know through the through the millennium so we we don't have that but that's one other point that i think is important because even just the whole conceptual framework of greek thought there are a lot of concepts that we still use today that emanate from women's art of weaving and so the word textile for example is from this text root it has to do with weaving and this is where we also get our word text philosophically wow. weaving weaving metaphors were being used by the greeks philosophically in, in, in various ways and as, as terms for creation and uh, transmission of thoughts and ways of expressing concepts even even some of the metaphors for concepts are all within this language of weaving so this is one more way that the the women's evident the women's input the women's contribution cultural, cultural production is yeah. there but it's it's become occluded over, under all these other layers. Right. And in fact, we can find that also in in Italy, in, in the uh, the goddess Retia. Women were inscribing, the, there was a connection between weaving and writing in the temples mm-hmm. of Retia in the area of the Veneto is what it's called now, the northeastern corner of Italy. So this is a connection that we can explore further as far as this this very deeply rooted Female cultural creation, you know, at the most profound levels that just gets washed over because it's all male writers, right.
0: male it is, it is amazing, but we still weave a tale. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, yes. that's yes. what comes down. What would you want to leave? What would be your one more thing you'd want to leave the listener with? Like, what is the one <sighs> thing that you might want them to take away from this?
2: Don't believe the hype. <laughs> 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 you no, know, I, There are riches there for us to claim. And I think we do need to look carefully for all the lines of evidence, compare and contrast, and come up with our new narratives. And not to forget the Amazon's dance, that we're talking about an entire culture and not a stereotype only. And certainly we have the archaeological evidence of the women warriors, but there's so much more to those women, whoever they were, Whatever their stories are, you know, whatever ethnicities they came from, there's there's realities there, and we can't allow them to be wa- waved away as it was all mythology. Even as we acknowledge, yeah, the Greek men mythologized in a big time way around this theme, but that does not negate the reality of those people, of those women, of those cultures. And I think that there's a matricultural survivor survival there. I mean, that period is pretty late in, in the history of things. We're talking about the Iron Age. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of conquest. Slaving, too, that's going on in that period. And yet we see evidence in the, in the Sarmatian archaeology and other things that there is still something different than what the Greeks were doing or even what the uh, Phoenicians or some of the other ancient patriarchal cultures were doing there's something there that feeds us there's something rich to drink from in those those old fountains Mm. that's
1: a beautiful image that's
0: a beautiful image really wonderful Don, would you anything you want to share in terms of one more thing with this
1: oh uh, similar similar to what max just said that when we are enjoying the um, Hollywood style, elegant narratives to uh, of the Greeks, to always remember that uh, to ask yourself the question that that I ask whenever I, I see a a Hollywood version of history, and that is, what were the women doing? What were the women doing? Because we're not seeing them in the story is being told, except as accessories to the male hero's journey. But they were living 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, just like the men were.
2: What were they doing? Yeah, we need to know that. Yep.
0: So my one more thing would be that there are the stories of women that have been dismissed from the ancient world. Uh, These ancient stories should be examined and looked into in an archaeological and a scientific method, because just like we've discussed here, it's easy to dismiss these tales when you haven't bothered to actually look into them. So it's time to look into these tales of Themyscira, of the Amazon Omake, of the Amazon founding of Ephesus. Let's actually look at it. Let's see what we can find. And if there's nothing there, there's nothing there, but we won't know that unless we look. So, that is my one more thing. Okay. All right. Well, I want to thank Max Dashu for joining us today.
1: Absolutely. And for once again being just an incredible font of of information, of story, of analysis, of Everything. I mean, you are you are you are the well at which I drink. So thank you <laughs> so much.
0: And thank you, Dawn, for all as always for being here, and and you as well, care. Sean,
1: for being our facilitator.
0: And I thank you to everyone listening out there. This has been the Thirty Four Circe Salon. Make matriarchy great again. We've been talking Amazon. It's- Take care, everyone, and bless
1: you.